I thank God for all who have led us in worship today. We are in a sermon series called Rediscovering Church. We're looking at various passages about God's church, and today we're going to look at a passage that casts what might be the most famous image for the church. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, and the title of today's sermon is The Body of Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Years ago, when I was pastoring another church, a man named Sparky began to worship with us on Sundays. Sparky was in his 50s. And he was new to our church and new to church in general. We met in my office one day and talked about life and faith, and I learned that Sparky was quite a character and that he had genuine interest in the gospel of Christ. Over time, Sparky chose to put his faith in Jesus, and I baptized him, and he became a member of our congregation. 
But since he was such a character and didn't have much experience in church life, pastoring Sparky was an adventure. One Sunday in Advent, for example, I noticed that the decorations for the elegant Christmas tree in the church vestibule had unexpectedly expanded. There was a ton of 1950s memorabilia and race car paraphernalia added beneath the tree right there in the main welcome area of the church. I immediately suspected Sparky. So I got Sparky and brought him out there and I said, Sparky, do you know how these items got here? And he said, everybody loves 1950 stuff and race cars. Don't you like it? You know? I said, yes, I love the stuff, you know, with Andy Griffith and the race car photos are great, but this is not the best place for them. He was a little disappointed, but he removed the items. Another time, Sparky was supposed to make an announcement at the beginning of Sunday worship. But he started talking about dirt track racing instead. <laughs> I'm sitting in the big preacher chair right behind him as he's doing this, and that went on for a couple of minutes with no sign of moving into the announcement. So I stood up and joined Sparky at the pulpit and said, Sparky, let's move on to the announcement now, you know. And he did. In my 16 years of pastoring four different churches, Sparky remains the only church member to ask me if he could park his hot rod at my house for a while. And so sure enough, Dana and I had this pretty awesome hot rod in our carport for several months. I enjoyed getting to know Sparky a great deal because he was fun and because he was different. But we all are. Each of us in the church has a unique God-given personality and distinctive spiritual gifts. We are diverse people, yet we compose one body, the body of Christ. In the one spirit, says Paul, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We are different in ethnicity and race, but one in Christ. We are different in social status and economic position, but one in Christ. Together we form a group in which differences do not make for division or hierarchy, but rather unified diversity in egalitarian community. And using the image of the human body to describe the church, Paul notes that the body needs a variety of parts in order to function properly. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? You know, the tongue helps us to talk while the toes help us to balance. Teeth help us to eat while tendons help us to walk. From the brain to the bladder, from the femur to the fibula, from the skin to the spinal cord, each body part has a role. Not only are body parts interconnected, they are also interdependent just as the mouth and nostrils and lungs depend on one another to breathe, 
we as different members of the church depend on one another. One member feels faint in the sanctuary and another member with medical expertise rushes over to give assistance. One member helps another member understand the scripture passage better in Sunday school. One couple keeps another couple's children so that they can go out and have a date night. One member visits another member in the hospital to offer encouragement and care. One member takes food to the house of another member who has just lost a loved one. When my wife Dana and I moved to Tennessee in 2005, we joined a local church in the area. I was in school full-time and my wife Dana planned to work full-time, but the job market was sluggish and Dana struggled to find a job. During the time she was applying and interviewing for different positions, a member of our church that we had gotten to know came to us and offered to hire her to work a few hours a week as a hospital chaplain. It wasn't full-time work, but it included weekend hours, and he hoped the pay would keep us afloat as she continued searching for a full-time job. We didn't know how we were going to make ends meet, and this job did, in fact, keep us afloat. It felt like our church friends were saving us. It reminded us that Christians need each other like the arteries need the heart. We are all part of one body. It's important to understand that the metaphor of the body was actually common in ancient literature. Writers from Plato to Epictetus, from Plutarch to Diochrysostom, used the image of the body to show the interdependence of various parts of a city or a state. They also used it to encourage unity within the prevailing social hierarchy in which members of the upper class, such as senators, city council members, and citizens with wealth and influence, were to be served by subordinate members of the lower class, such as non-citizens, slaves, and poor folks. However, Paul uses the body metaphor to humble the upper class Christians in Corinth and to exalt the lower class Christians in Corinth. Evidently, the upper class believers were looking down on others in the church. So Paul says, hey, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Bible scholar Robert Scott Nash writes, Whereas the political writers sought harmony through adherence to established hierarchies of power, Paul urges equal respect and appreciation for the parts of the body whose significance is usually discounted. Indeed, the social hierarchy is flattened in Christ so that every member is equally honored and fully respected. The body of Christ differs from the body politic. 
in the body of Christ, enslaved persons and free persons, upper class persons and lower class persons, Jewish persons and Gentile persons, wealthy persons and destitute persons, male persons and female persons are all conjoined in solidarity, mutuality, and equity. Bible scholar F.W. Groshide wrote, in the first century, the unification of so varied a multitude was very remarkable. Such a thing only took place in the Christian church. To this day, the church remains a countercultural social system in which each member is different, each member is important, and all members cooperate in love, unity, and peace. The body of Christ is characterized by diversity, not conformity, by solidarity, not division, by equality, not a hierarchy, by cooperation, not competition, and by the rule of Jesus, not the rules of society. No member of the body is to be underestimated, overlooked, or devalued. The homeless church member is just as significant as the millionaire deacon. The eight-year-old who just got baptized is just as important as the 58-year-old committee chair. At that church Sparky joined, we had one member who had been superintendent of schools, one member who was captain at the sheriff's office, and another member who was serving on the city council. Sparky was no less important than these. For everyone has gifts to share, and everyone has a role to play in order for the body to function at maximum capacity. Paul drives this point home saying, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as God chose. To underestimate any member's giftedness, significance, or value is an insult to God who has designed the body with a variety of different aspects and abilities. The very conglomeration of individuals in our church today is no accident of history. It is the design of divinity. Each of us has a function to fulfill, a service to render. Some may be gifted in music or child care or evangelism or hospitality. Others may be gifted in teaching, generosity, encouragement, or compassion. Any member of the body that seems less important is indispensable. Any member of the body that seems less honorable is most honorable. The church magnifies the dignity of its meekest members just as God magnified Christ on the lowly cross where he died. Young children, for example, are often seen as small persons to be ministered to because they are the future of the church. Yet they are also small ministers who are indispensable to the present of the church. When my wife Dana and I were in divinity school, 
we worshiped in a church outside of Winston-Salem where I served as a children's ministry intern. And on Sunday mornings, a little girl in the church named Katie would come and talk to us in the sanctuary for a minute. She would smile, and then she would give us each a big hug. She was the sweetest little girl, and several church members looked forward to getting hugs from Katie every Sunday morning in the sanctuary. Other members preached and sang and read scripture and made announcements and took up the offering, but Dana and I did not feel like we had really been to church until we had gotten our Katie hugs. No one should feel unimportant in the body, regardless of age, social status, or any other demographic distinction. If the foot said, you know, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it would not be any less a part of the body. It would just be selling itself short in terms of its own potential. If the ear said, you know, since I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it would not be any less a part of the body. It would just be selling itself short in terms of its own potential. The foot and hand are members of the same organism. The ear and eye are aspects of the same entity, and each adds value to the whole. Paul's point is that when we combine Katie hugs and job offers and Sunday school friends that visit us in the hospital and all those who sing and preach and teach and pray for us, there is an entire body working together. Each member is reliant on and responsible to the others. Indeed, we are so very interconnected that when one part of the body hurts, the whole body feels it. You know how sharp pain in the ankle or the neck or the pinky finger can consume the entire body? Likewise, when one member of the body of Christ hurts, we all hurt. We mourn with those who mourn, we suffer with those who suffer. Some years ago, a church member lost a close family member in a particularly tragic way. He and his family were devastated. During this time, the church encircled this family with love and shared their pain. People visited them. People prayed for them and with them. People gave them food. People helped cover the funeral expenses. This man, the father of the family, was talking to me in my office thereafter. We were praying together and just visiting, and he just named way after way after way that different people in the church had blessed him and his family in their most terrible time. And he got to a point where he said, it's the body. It's the body. To be clear, when Paul says the church is the body of Christ, he does not mean the church is Christ. He means the church embodies Christ. We represent Christ among one another, and we represent Christ to the world. We can even say with Bible scholar Luke Timothy Johnson that the church is the continuation of the incarnation. 
the incarnation of God, the God-made fleshness of Jesus' existence, the body of Christ on earth persists through us. We are not the Savior of the world, but we host and transmit the presence of the living Savior. We are not the Savior of the world, but we can participate in saving people's lives. I learned that from Sparky. His giftedness in the church was not immediately evident to me, but he had lots of ideas. Sparky had ideas for throwing parties, for bridging church life with dirt track racing, for redecorating the church to make it more exciting, he said. While some of his ideas I thought to be impractical, one of his ideas I gladly authorized. It was an idea Sparky had for a mission outreach type of event. He prepared for many weeks to organize it, plan it, promote it, and staff it with appropriate volunteers. He worked incredibly hard. Unfortunately, he put some of the promotional flyers into people's mailboxes at their homes, prompting a local official to contact the church and remind us that that is illegal. I began to get a little antsy about having put Sparky in charge of this event, but when the day of the event arrived, and I walked into our church fellowship hall. I was blown away. There were people all over the place. Some were church members. Some were people from the wider community. And a few were professionals with the Red Cross. I can't remember how many donors came to give blood that day. But there were a lot. One church member, the one who was on the town council, came and she gave blood at Sparky's invitation. People from all walks of life were there in the fellowship hall doing something that I'm sure made God smile. They told us how many lives we had saved that day with all the blood that was given, but I can't remember the number. And none of it would have happened without Sparky using his gifts and playing his part in the body of Christ. We are all different. And we can all make a difference. Each of us has gifts, value, significance, a role to play in the church. None of us is important. God has arranged it that way. As we work together in an interdependent community of mutuality, equity, and unity, we bless one another, we serve those around us, we shine the light of Christ's love, and we sometimes even save people's lives. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Amen.